This is a new and developing resource for young artists, entrepreneurs, and creators of all types, really, as we learn to navigate the professional field. As you and I together learn to navigate this wild experience that we call life. I've returned to my home base in Minnesota after an insightful and refreshing time in Washington State. There, I met up with an old friend, H. Adam Harris, who is one impassioned and prolific individual. Seeing as we were both in Seattle, I had asked if he wanted to meet up for maybe a 20-minute interview. We got together at La Marzocco, a coffee shop in the KEXP building at the Seattle Center. We talked for a couple of hours before even rolling tape, and then when the conversation started, the first time I thought to look down at the clock, 45 minutes had elapsed. I was caught up in everything that H was saying, and you will soon know why. I first met the man during the fall of my junior year at St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists, where he has taught a class called Theater for Social Change since 2013. H is an actor and teaching artist in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and in addition to that credit at SPCPA, he is the Associate Director of Programming at the Penumbra Theater Company and has managed the nationally recognized Summer Institute for a number of years, training teenagers to use their arts to create meaningful change within their communities and the world at large. As the lead teaching artist and workshop facilitator, he also manages a team of resident teaching artists and leads conversation on diversity, inclusion, and equity for various schools, organizations, and companies. For nearly the past 10 years, H has taught a similar range of classes and workshops at the iconic Guthrie Theatre, he has a long list of involvement at the Children's Theatre Company, 10,000 Things Theatre, and more. He's got a BFA in acting from the University of Minnesota. In this conversation, we covered naming and building dreams, then allowing them to shift when needed, utilizing structure to your advantage, relationships, and support systems. He shares stories about the absence of his mother and the women mentors that have appeared in his life at critical moments. We talk about pain integrity, making mistakes. He shares how Ken Washington set him on the path of teaching. We discuss ancestors, accountability, prayer as an activation of will and intent, which I found endlessly fascinating, compassion, self-preservation, conversation, the power of storytelling. There's so much. H was just dropping knowledge bombs all over the place. And I left all the better for this conversation. As I said, you will soon know why. H sparks something in me that makes me feel I could just take on the world. As always, thanks to Josh Johnson for providing the opening track to this podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud at Saxophone Capone. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with H. Adam Harris. H, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chance. Given where we are right now, yes. let's hear what you're doing in Seattle. Tell me about the snowy day and so your I'm time I'm doing a production of the snowy day, um, which is um, uh, by the Children's Theatre Company. And we're performing at the Seattle Children's Theatre Company. And it's just a super exciting uh, show. It's like this really great play that is based on the snowy day novels by uh ezra jack keats um first time you know they'd had a you know young person of color as the lead which is really great and it's been a really powerful show to perform i didn't do it in minneapolis but i'm doing it here in seattle and it's just been great to see the little kids and like especially when they're little kids of color and they see themselves on stage yeah that's been cute we do a little post show afterwards and like we always walk out and one time China who is like a black woman in the show she like wasn't available and she and like the girls came up there like where's the girl where's the girl and I was like yeah they like they want to see themselves mm. yeah mm. so no. but that's what I'm doing your first time in the northwest right it is. It's my very first time. Uh, yes, it's my first time for a prolonged period of time. I had the great fortune of um, Oregon Shakespeare Festival hired me to teach in Portland. So I went to Ashland, Oregon for five days, and they flew me to Portland for five days, which was really great. It was like in Portland. I, I think everyone says it's like Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis. They're all the same. Mm. Some are just closer to the water. But Portland was a lot of fun. But this is probably the most time I've spent in the Northwest, and it's been really great. I'm yeah. really, yeah, I'm digging Seattle as much as I've seen of it, yeah. You just mentioned that people equate these cities together, yeah. but can you comment on similarities and differences from the Twin Cities? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think 
my like space here is like so insular. Like I'm in such a very specific place. I haven't landed on a big difference. Like people are, you know, the people are nice, the people are kind, and it's interesting because you know there are lakes, and then you know there's an ocean, you know, like and then there's like the south, you know. So it's like I think that those are sort of, you know, I think those affect people differently. There's no income tax, so mm. I know that. That's, <laughs> I think that makes people walk around a little bit more, you know, no state income tax. Um, so I think that makes people walk around with a little bit more brisk in their step. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't really, I, can't, I haven't really landed on it. I haven't seen much of the art scene here yet. I'm going to be seeing shows at the Seattle Rep and on the boards, which is, I guess, a sort of a fringe company and uh, Seattle Shakespeare. I'm going to see some stuff. So I haven't seen it. Once I see them, then I'll know, I guess. All right. We'll, we'll wait on that one. <laughs> Before we started recording, You'd mentioned that this is the first time in a while that you have a particular freedom because you're just working for once on this one project. Yeah. When you are back in the Twin Cities, what all are you doing? I mean, oh my goodness. So when I go back to the Twin Cities, I've got um, my class at SPCPA. They had class with Joel Eastman today. Thank you, Joel. I go back to so my theater for social justice class. Um, I've got a text and movement class um, with 10th graders. I'm going to be in a production called The Curious Case of the Watson Intelligence at Park Square, um, being directed by Leah Cooper, which I'm super excited about uh, because I'm like playing like a lover, like I'm playing like a love interest, you know? And that's just pretty exciting. It's like, oh, you're going to be in love with with me this is going to be wonderful <laughs> so that's going to be at Park Square and that starts March 14th that'll come down and then I'm going to assist and direct Intimate Apparel which is playing at Michelle Hensley's 10,000 Things ah. it's being directed by my good friend Austin Van mm. and then after that for the first time I'm actually not going to be working at the Summer Institute after seven years I've worked at the Summer Institute up a number seven years in a row wow. and uh, so I'm taking a break this summer you know really just for myself and to try to figure out you know what else you know just it was time it was time for a break and then next fall I'm doing the world premiere of a play called This Bitter Earth in San Francisco and then I'm gonna be in a, some shows after that how the heck do you manage your time? I don't. I don't. You don't. You know, I lost my planner. <laughs> chance. Uh, so I. It's a hard thing. It, it's a hard thing. I like to be busy. I like to move around. Hmm. In addition to all of those like acting things, I'm leading a conservatory at the Children's Theater Company, which I'm super excited about. It's the inaugural class, and it's me and like nine. I have nine young women, and it's probably been one of the like greatest and most challenging sort of teaching experiences. I have them every Monday for three hours, and what's been great about it is that you're with teaching them like you know it's a pre-professional institute and what I love about it though is that I'm like but it's me and nine women so I'm like it's like you know the lens of gender and how that affects and the way and like so I teach theater for social justice but I actually now believe that it's impossible to teach actors young actors to teach theater without teaching through a lens of self understanding and expression and identity and an engagement with the world it's been an interesting sort of space of like at ctc where it's not a theater for social it's not a conservatory for theater for social justice it's a conservatory to train young actors but i'm like but we can't train these things and separate them especially when you know you've got these young women who are have to deal with so much that the world throws at them through the lens of misogyny and mm. patriarchy and beauty standards and all those things. So how do you teach, you know, like they're inseparable. So um, that's what I'm doing. I've got that. I've got diversity and inclusion workshops that I do um, with Penumbra and then all my Penumbra duties, which are wide and varied. Uh, we got Summer Institute. I will be getting Summer Institute up and running, you know, so I've got applications to get, teacher artists to check in on. My good friend Kara is the director of community engagement at the Guthrie. So I'm excited to go back and see what else I can help her with and how we can make that happen. So I, I like to be in a lot of different places at once and uh, the universe has been really kind to me in Minneapolis and made it possible. This is a broad question, yep. but there seem to be themes between all of these different positions. What is your calling in life? What are you working towards? I'm an actor. I think I've always been an actor, um, but I've also <laughs> always been a teacher. You know, I've been teaching since I was 18, 17, you know, and so, um, and there have always been people older than me, or, you know, in that room that I've been responsible for. So I believe that I'm an actor and I'm a teacher. And I always say, I want to basically, what I'm trying to do is build a career that puts me in a place where I can create the greatest amount of change for people. And I guess to be even more specific, young people. I think that, like, I just remember what it is to be like a, like, what it was to be a young actor of color. Like, you know, what does it mean and how do we live in the world that we have right now in this 2017 America? Like, how do we engage with that world? So I'm just trying to get myself to a place where I can make rules 
because I always tell people, like, what I mean by that, I always tell people, like, you play by the rules until you're in a position to change them. I think I talked to you all about that in mm-hmm. class. I was mm-hmm. like, at SPCPA, I have a class. And inside, now technically, I report to Genevieve or Joey, and then they report to Brian, and then they report to Callie, and that goes so on and so on. But what happens is, is I now have room inside my little bubble to create a world as I, like, I can create our own world where we can have revolutionary conversations that maybe the board would be like, you talk to them about what? I'm like, yeah, that's what we <laughs> talked about in my classroom. Like, like, but I, that's my power, right? So I've never been one that's like, destroy the system, bring it all down. But I am someone that's like, oh, just wait. I'm not, like, I don't want to be the principal of SPCPA. And like, but I'm like, oh, if I was the principal, like, oh, all of these things. But then I'm like, that's sort of the magic of what I'm able to do, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. so that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to, I do a lot so that I can continue to do a lot, but, um, I like acting. I always say, you know, I always tell students never to be afraid to sort of name dreams and ambitions and things like that. Like, there are people that I want to work with, you know, in the world, you know, like, um, I got to see Felicia Rashad in London do a production of uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which is complicated in its own way, but it was all black production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And I was like, uh, and me and my brother, like my brother, my heart, Ernest, we um, we uh, grew up in Detroit and came to study at the program together. And uh, we saw that show and like we tracked down and Debbie Allen directed it. And like we waited at stage door and then Debbie Allen was like, Debbie Allen, we were like, hi. We said, hi, you did a great job. We love you. And she and she turned around. She was like, you're not from around here. And we were like, no, we're from Detroit. And she was like, Detroit, all right. And then we told her, and then we told her, she was like, what are you doing here? We said, we, we're studying abroad. We would go to the University of Minnesota. She was like, oh, Minnesota, movers and shakers. Oh, Guthrie. We said Guthrie. She was like, the Guthrie, those are the home of movers and shakers. Y'all want to meet Felicia? And we'd be like, yeah. What? So we like avoided the whole line and stood by the car with Debbie Allen, like, because they were all right. They were Riding home together, and Felicia came over, and like it was just me, Ernest, Felicia, Rashad, and Debbie Allen. And in that moment, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna work with them. One day in my life, I'm gonna work with Debbie Allen, Felicia, Rashad." So I got, I got to figure that out. So that's kind of, I guess, dream. Oh my so, gosh! Well, what what ad- advice would you give to people attempting or questioning how to name a dream? To me, I always go, I go, okay. So what about your life? That what what about your life right now do you like? And you know, some people, you know, a variety of reasons, you know, maybe don't have anything. Um, and then I always push back. I'm like, no, there's something. There's what about your life right now do you like? Mm-hmm. And once you begin to articulate the things that you like about your life currently, mm-hmm. imagine that those are things that you would like to continue to have in your life. So you're like, I don't know, like I like my room. Like I like my grade. Like you like the posters that you put up in your room. So you would like the opportunity to be able to maybe to put posters up in a room. Like, right, maybe like so what you start doing is you start you have to build a dream. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'm reading this great book right now, sent to me by a really extraordinary friend, Kafka on the Shore. And right now, I guess there's a quote in there about W.B. Yeats, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but like, in dreams begin responsibilities. Like, I want people to dream just because it makes you it makes you accountable to yourself as opposed to being accountable to other people. Like mm. you're so in order to do that, you have to build a dream that suits you that doesn't suit other that maybe it doesn't. It's not like talking to you about what you've done for the past two years. Lord have mercy. I'm like, no chance. What? Oh my goodness. It goes against all of the way my brain, my brain would work. But because I believe that you have to build your dream, I'm like, great, you're building a dream right now for the past two years. If you've been here, you've been there, you did that. You're building out what your dream should be. Mm. So I always think if you don't have, one you have to build it and you base it off of what do you have right now in your life that you like are those going to be things that you're going to want in your life later on Mm -hmm. then what are all the things that you have to do in order to create that dream remembering that I'm someone who likes systems so what rules do you have to follow what things do you have to do in order to get these things to come to fruition? And then, like, can you hunker down and, like, do those things for follow those rules until finally you don't have to? Because I'm a big fan of that. I'm like, play by the rules until, you know, then you're like, no, nah, I don't have to. <laughs> when do you know? When do you know? Yeah. When that do you, you don't have to? Yeah. Um, I think you know because you. I th- it's a weird thing. I think you know because all of a sudden you're not playing by the rules and you're okay. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, for all <laughs> intents and purposes, chance you have not played by the rules, and here we are in Seattle, right? Here we are like, you know, in like, like that's it. Like you're fine. You're healthy. You you know you have a home. You know, like it's so it, it's a it's a it's a delicate balance. But 
And I also, I also think the biggest thing about dreams too is that you got to be willing to allow your dreams to change, shift, and alter. Like you cannot be so locked and set on one specific dream that one day you wake up and maybe your dream's different. My favorite thing is I had this great teacher in college who talked about like having a really robust career in New York, really, really wonderful, robust career in New York. It was extraordinary, great, great, great. Had a baby, picked up the baby, and literally all their dreams shifted. Mm-hmm. They were like, mm, I kind of want this baby to grow, have a like a yard to grow up in. And that once you say once you say that to yourself, once you go, I want this baby to have a yard to grow up in, you make a lot of decisions based off of who you are in your capacity, not your skill, not your talent, but you go, maybe New York isn't gonna give me that. Hmm. Now there's some other people who maybe they can raise people in New York, but like in their life they were like, you know what, New York is not going to give me the life that I wanna build for this child. And I'm like, but it takes such courage to be like, oh, my dreams changed. Hmm. It's the same courage that like, it takes for someone who did computer science or someone who did, you know, studied law. Um, one of my great, you know, favorite folks, uh, favorite actors in Twin Cities, Greta Oglesby, who like did accounting. Like, I'm not going to age nothing, but you know, because I'll get in trouble, she'll hurt me. But like, Greta was uh, Greta worked in accounting for the for a lot of her life before she discovered acting. And so we, as theater people, were like, oh, that's so great. You finally realized you came. But also. Theater people need to acknowledge that some of us grow up in the theater world and we're like, that's what we're on. And sometimes you're like, I want to be an accountant. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's It's true. And you're like, no, I'm a failure. I'm like, the accountant doesn't think they're a failure when they become a theater maker. Why do theater makers think they're a failure when they become an accountant? Hmm. It's about following your heart. And yet, once again, there's a system and taxes and money and homes and things. And also... We're people in text analysis, which, I, you know, when I'm teaching a class, I always tell people, we also are motivated by want, not need. You know what I mean? Like, there are mm-hmm. things that you need, but also we're motivated by want. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you know when you know. Do you have an example of when your own dreams have shifted? Oh, however yeah. However big or small? Oh, yeah. I've always, like, I, like, to me, it's always those big things that you always want. When I was graduating from high school, I decided to be an actor. I'd always wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to be an actor and a judge. I wanted to do both. But really, I wanted to be a ju- well. I wanted to be yeah, bypass lawyer, right? Um, I wanted to be a judge mainly because of the judge that I saw on TV. You know, it took me a moment, but I was always interested in law. And a lot of times, when you grow up inside the black culture, um, one of the things that you find out, especially you young black man, you talk a lot like I do. It's like, oh, you're gonna be a preacher or you're gonna be a lawyer. And so, like those are that's the sort of dream that is placed on you. Yeah. Oh, you talk, you could be a preacher. Oh, you talk, you could be a lawyer. That becomes a dream that's placed on you. And I was like, well, I'm gonna say no to the preacher, but but yes to the judge. Like, I can be a judge that way. So that was what I wanted to do. And I hooked up with the Mosaic Youth Theater of Detroit. I've been working with them since the eighth grade. And then somewhere in my junior year, we took a trip to New York City. And we um, saw a classical, the black, Classical Theater of Harlem did um, uh, the Cherry Orchard. And Classical Theater of Harlem does these all-black productions of classic plays. So white, you know, Anton Chekhov, Cherry Orchard, you know, performed 1904, um, being done by all-black cast. Wendell Pierce, who's mostly maybe famous for Bunk from um, uh, The Wire. Um, You know, uh, Earl Hyman, who played Grandpa Huxable in The Cosby Show, is playing Fears. So these great people, and I literally, like, I'm like, I want to be an actor. So I had to go back and figure out, like, oh, you go to school for that. So I auditioned for um, five schools, and the number one school that I wanted to go to, the dream, my dream school, the school that was going to change my life and set me on a path to success forever was Rutgers University in um, New Jersey. That was my absolute number one dream. You could talk to anyone, like my high school teachers, they were like, oh, they were like, oh and what do you, I'm like, I'm, based, I'm going to Rutgers, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's probably where I'm going. And I auditioned for five schools and I got accepted at four and waitlisted at one. And I was waitlisted and later um, denied from Rutgers. Wow. And I remember being like, <gasps> like in that. And then, you know, the University of Minnesota had accepted me and scholarship and all that fun stuff. And I came here and it changed my life. But that was a dream shift for me, like a sort of shift in the way that I thought. I had the same thing happen to me senior year of college. I thought I had this great opportunity, the number one opportunity that was going to change my life what and was set it? me up. Oh, we're not going to talk about that. But um, I was like, this is going to change my life. Oh, my God. This is the thing that is going to just boom. And, like, I found out one night that I didn't get it. And I was like, oh. 
And for me, that's why I, it's hard. It doesn't, it doesn't make failure hurt any less. It doesn't make a denial or a rejection of a dream hurt any less. But I like to believe that every no I've gotten has led to a better yes. Every dream that has failed me has propelled a dream that I did not even know I had. And I'm like, whoa. So for me, like, I'm, it don't mean that I'm like, oh, I didn't get it. Oh, whatever. I'm like, I didn't get it. You know, like I go through my moment, my period of grieving, but I'm also like, man, I wonder what I, I wonder what I'm about to get. Like if, if my history of no's and negative and failures and dreams shattering is like being able to sit here in Seattle right now with you, Chance, I think I'm doing pretty good. So to me, it's just like, you know, like let those dreams shift and let them change. How do dreams interact with each other? How is my dream intersecting with your dream right now? How are, how, are, how are the dreams of this yeah. city all swirling around? Dreams interact with people. I think dreams interact with each other through people. I think your dreams, when I talk about the idea, the quote that's been moving me from Kafka on the Shore, is that your dreams, if dreams shape responsibilities, those responsibilities are about accountability. And when I talk about, when I teach the class and I talk about seven traits of an activist artist, one of the things we talk about is integrity, which I describe as an accountability to self. Um, that you, that, and so responsibilities creates that integrity. And so you have an accountability to yourself and I think it shapes the way you encounter the world. I think it shapes the way you move through the world and I think that shapes the way you encounter others in the world. People who agree with you, people who disagree with you, people who look like you, who maybe have the same um, uh, internal uh, ways of identifying that you do. And I think that the way, like our dreams are like so rooted in our dreams are so rooted in who we are and not just the sort of dreams that we have when we sleep, but the dream, like the actual sort of wishes and hopes that we have for ourselves, they shape how you encounter the world. They shape the way you move to the world. Like, um, especially if it's a selfish dream, if it's something that is really much rooted in yourself, hmm. then you're going to encounter the world differently and the world's going to encounter you differently. Um, if it's a dream rooted in family or legacy or history, it shapes you. So I think what you want out of the world shapes how you experience the world. I, I really do. I think because your want of the world shapes how you move through the world. It shapes how you move through the world. It's what we teach when we talk about overall objective. We're like, what does your character want? Yeah. Once you have your overall objective, now you can do everything else. And yeah. so for me, I'm like, what's our overall objective and how is that shaping how we encounter people? I think my main takeaway from your class at school, way back in the day. Way back, yeah. Was a particular quote, and I'm not sure if this is attributed to you or someone else. Yeah. I'm hoping you can tell me. If the dream's not over, then how can the work be? Did, yes. Is that you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Must have been. It's, Must have I, been. I, I know I've said it. Yeah. I know I've said it, but, it's, but it, I, couldn't, I know there's some brilliant soul out there who probably knows who said it. But I also think it's probably someone who said that to me in person, so I don't yeah. think it's like anything written. But yeah, like, if the dream is not over, how can the work be? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Yes, I got to write that down now to remind myself. And, yeah. And... <laughs> It's it's amazing. I I think seeing how much you're doing and the the involvement you have in your community, <laughs> all of these different organiza organizations, all of these different acting jobs. I mean, you you are working yourself to the bone practically. Yeah. How do you avoid? Mm -hmm. Well, how do you avoid burnout? I mean, what is the motivation behind all of this? Out behind all of this that you're able to continue? I think one keeping in like keeping in sight what my dreams are. I think that I'm like I I experience like I'm always people have different paths and different ways of being. But I like I like plans and I like structure. So I have like you know five years and ten years and twenty years. Like I have those sort of ideas, you know. But I think, and this is probably really become very clear for me in the past five months or so like I just am so fueled by the people that I surround myself with mm -hmm. like I am I have the like greatest group of people like in my life like um, who just like who um, acknowledge acknowledge uplift and like are present with me in the best and the worst of times mm -hmm. and I think that that has got to be probably the greatest gift and I think that like to me I'm like it's really you know oh you know I have a great relationship with my father we just went on a seven-day vacation which was crazy 
crazy through like you know three cities you know two and a half days and my dad's 70 years old and so it was just like this crazy trip with my dad that was incredible and um and i've got family biological family but the but the family my heart family the people that have who i have chosen to make family have held me down and encouraged me and pushed me and challenged me and like I don't know, they just overwhelm my heart in a very specific way. And like, there are new ones and there are old ones and the new ones always make me go, what, how is there so much more room in the world for like oh, yeah. all this love? Oh, yeah. And yet I still love all these old ones, you know? And so, and then I like, but all the new ones, when they join me, I'm like, man, like I've known this person for like 12 years and I just met you like, you know, months ago. And now I'm like, but I want to know you for 12 years, you know, because they just, I don't know. It's like, I think that's how I sustain is that there's a group of people who believe that I can hmm. do you know what I mean yeah who believe that I can and acknowledge that like yeah what do you need to get it done is that the advice you would give to young people in terms of surrounding themselves with the right group of people someone that believes in you what, what other points would you put on there yeah I mean I think you do you surround yourself with the right group of people but I think the hard thing about that when we are young is that we change we change and grow and sometimes what I found really hard is that as you allow your own dreams to shift and change, you got to let people shift and change. You know, that like that friend that you had that was your solid friend for four years of high school, four years of college, like you might grow apart and that's got to be okay. You know, yeah. like, so I mean, I still have people that I've known since I was, you know, 13, 14, but you surround yourself with people who, you know, care about you and are going to be thinking about you, but you never close yourself off to more. I think that that's the beautiful trick, that if you never close yourself off to more people, more good, great friends, you know, more friends that can come and offer that, that when they cycle out, you still got a strong support system, yeah, you know, yeah. and my roots go deep, man. My roots go deep. And it's like, I just think you want to lay down roots and you also have to be a good friend yourself, hmm. you know, and I, I don't say that to be like, oh, I'm such a great, but I think that like, <laughs> I think that like good friends attract good friends you know like people who like you know and it doesn't mean you don't and the other thing is good friends also be like you was on some bullshit i don't know if we can cuss on your podcast but i just did but like you know like you was on like you was on some stuff and you're yeah. like i was i'm sorry they're like okay cool and then you move on you know mm. you know forgiveness is important speaking of roots yes let's talk about mentors yeah looking back through the years yep maybe breaking it down high school college yeah professional life i literally just kind of made a post about this simply because i was so moved by the um the women's march i was so incredibly moved by the women's march my mother died when i was very young so it's always been just me and my father and uh and my father remarried twice very very quickly um very very quick very consecutive i think there was this sort of sense that like oh you know the young boy needs a mom in his life and uh, those marriages didn't necessarily work out so it was always just me and my father but one of the things that i've always been so incredibly moved by is that at very critical points in my life some woman has like shown up in my world some mentor some like spirit has shown up in my life and sent it on like an incredible journey and I track that back to Miss Ellis who was the middle school librarian who like you know introduced me to like like I really I was in this program called kids learning and computer clubhouses <laughs> click because we spelled it with a K so click, click. Uh, kids learning uh, computer clubhouses clubhouse spelled with a K too but really she did that so that I would be able to spend more time like with her I was I was there after school and but she introduced me to the like wonder of like and I say Harry Potter in the sense that like she introduced me to Harry Potter but the whole world beyond Harry Potter so reading the concept of read like I always love reading but she was like the library like you know so I had access mm -hmm. to everything in middle school and for many years she's like all the way up until the final book wherever I was in the world she would send me that Harry Potter in high school I met Marilyn McCormick she's just retired from Cast Tech after 40 years of teaching she just won the um, second inaugural uh, Tony Award for educators Amazing. Um, so she's legit but she's the first person who said you know what like no like when I came back from that wild trip of seeing the classical theater for Harlem she was like no you can do this not only can you do this, but you should do this. And she has, she's been sort of my, like, the mentor who I always go back to. I'm like, here's what's on the table. Here's what's on the table. And she goes, this is what we do. And this is why we do it. She roots me and grounds me in that. And then I came here and I met uh, Sarah Bellamy at Penumbra, who is one of the most intelligent, incredibly, like, 
extraordinary like humans on the planet and she just i mean there are very few words to describe the sort of magic and the wonder that she has wielded in my life and the skill the skills that she has offered and allowed me to hone and sharpen and to be present for and that took me all the way to like the most recent which is Patricia McGregor who I assisted directed on the Parchment Hour at the Guthrie and she changed my life you know like so I've always had these great mentors who are like you know and Patricia's like Patricia's just like okay cool uh, she like took all the product of all those other people and was like and now more and I'm like what no <laughs> you know so in many ways I think mentors are I think that they can be incredible they can be incredible you know touches on your life and they really when people like pay tribute to like mentors, you know, it really does. It's like I people always like that's so sweet. I'm like, no, you don't even understand like mm-hmm. the depth of like soul shaping that these people have done on those. And so those are just four that pop out to me right now. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that you are a mentor now, <laughs> how do you approach those relationships? What are you hoping to give young people? I think for me, one of the biggest things I like to think about is that. A lot of my work, whenever I do sort of whatever I'm training, whenever I'm training, uh, I do some work around like Shakespeare and culturally specific. All I mean is that a lot of times inside communities of color, you're teaching Shakespeare, you teach young people of color that they have to go to Shakespeare as opposed to Shakespeare has to come to it. So in my world as a mentor, as a teacher, as an educator, all of the things that I'm talking about, no matter how big they are, I'm coming I'm coming to you. I'm not making you go to it. And that translates in how we talk. I believe that, you know, the way we think about, the way we think about um, education is problematic. You know, the way we understand education as it is, I think it's problematic. The way power and di- hierarchies work inside classrooms is problematic. So I like disrupting those. And yet, once again, I'm a person who loves systems. So I'm like, <laughs> and yet here are the guidelines, right? You know, people can remember the guidelines. You don't want to cross that one because then you get a, you know, a, you know, a, a H spirit hammer, you know, like, <laughs> like there's no like I'm not gonna be like you know consequences but I'm just gonna get you in the spirit and shape you build you back up but um no to me I think a willingness to say I don't know becomes important as a mentor a willingness to offer your perspective and your side that does not mean that it's going to be true for that person a willingness to push to push to push to push because the one thing I do know from like doing this is that like Man, young folks can be so resistant, boy. They will fight you. They're like, no. Oh, yeah. And they will do all the research. They're like, well, I saw an article. And you're like, yep. And you just got to keep pushing. And then they come to the other side. And they're like, man, I'm really sorry for all that stuff I did to you. And you're like, it's okay. Because if I didn't think you could do it, I would keep pushing. I'm yeah. just so excited by potential. I am so thrilled by potential. And like, and also, I do it in the sense of what people gave to me. Like, there's no need for like... I'm not competing with my students. Like, I'm like, I'm like, you want to eclipse me? Great. Can I have a job? Like, you know, like, I'm like, remember how I was a mentor? Hey, there, kid. Can I get a job? You know, like, like I'm like, I'm like, give what you can. Yeah, I also, yeah. you know, I don't, you know, like, in many ways, like, I don't have any other thing to occupy my focus other than me. So my students and the people that, you know, call me mentor or whatever, like, I don't know, it just becomes important. And to be heard. <laughs> People just don't feel heard, you know? And they're yeah. like, someone's listening. I'm like, I'm listening. Can't do anything about it, but I am listening. <laughs> and sometimes that's the best thing that you can do is yeah. just listen. Because you also, you know, at the Institute, I used to, you know, I always use a phrase a lot of times is that like, uh, the Institute, of course, is probably one of the most rigorous sort of trainings that trainings that I like am like when I'm teaching where I have complete and utter control of like what's happening inside of a space is at the Summer Institute at Penumbra. And one of the things I always say is I'm like, I'm pushing you into the darkest waters so that I can lift you back out again, hmm. just so you know that you have survived that, that you are capable of that. And I think at the core, that's what I think about when I think about being a ment- mentor is that like. Let's go the distance. I will be there to lift you back out. And once you know you're capable of it, you can swim down and you can swim back up out by yourself. And that becomes really, really important to me. Morris Johnson used to teach us African-based movement in the BFA program. He used to call it integrity time. So in integrity time, he used to make us do crunches. Like just for like too far too many crunches. We'd hold plants. <laughs> for like 10 minutes and like we'd be moaning and groaning and he would say it's time to show your integrity (laughs) but what he was talking about was that if you can endure the physical the physical sort of intensity of the pain that i'm putting on your abs or your core or your legs or anything like that if you can endure that know that when the dark times hit 
when that pain, when your heart is broken, when someone, when, when someone you love passes away, as you struggle with addiction, as you struggle with um, uh, uh, finances, you have experienced great pain before. Hmm. Morris put it on you, and you know Morris <laughs> is there going, it's time to show your integrity. So for me, I think I took that from Morris. Wow. I'm like, let's just, let's sh- let, to make you believe that you've got, you've got everything you need to get everything you want. You do, you got everything you need to get everything you want. How do you make it happen? How do you make it happen? Yeah. You, well one, that's where mentors are helpful. Like we're like, okay, here are the things, because we also, like I told you, we won't say it on the thing, but what I told you, like something you want to think about when you're working, like mentors are able to go, okay, cool, here's something, this is something that's really good that you got, you want to keep remembering that. That's something you might want to investigate and figure out what you're going to do with that yeah, you know, in five yeah, years. Yeah. But yeah. You just have to, I think you surround yourself, you surround yourself with good people, you track down good mentors, and you track down people who you trust and you admire, who are going to be honest with you and who are going to be true and who can, you know, who not only can make time, but want to make time. Mm-hmm. That becomes important too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. How, how did teaching, how did this piece fall into your life in the first place? It's uh, it's always been sort of like my like my, my father my father were here he would say well hey child you know my son you know he you know but uh, I don't know I've you know in every friend group you know there's always like you know that like the dad figure like the like the the square figure and I've always so I've always been that you know inside the groups and like um in classrooms and things like that and then uh, I don't know I've just always it's just a part of what I do Hmm. Um, I know that probably the clearest sort of beginning of like a very active approach in my brain was freshman year of college I needed a job and my mentor Ken Washington who passed away but I think I shared the story when he passed away you know Ken me and Ernest like adopted Ken. He was a, like a black man who like was running the Guthrie program, and that was like blowing our mind. You know, we're like, oh my goodness, and like you know, I'd never been around this many white people before, like ever. So I was in Minnesota. And I was like, why, man? You know, so I was like, this man's gonna be my mentor. I was like, I, I was like, I'm just gonna make him my mentor. <laughs> and um, one day, you know, and he knew that we didn't like you know have a lot of. Um, finances or whatever and so uh and he saw me he said what are you doing on saturday i said nothing and he said come with me and he walked me around the corner and uh he walked me into the director of education louis chalfond at the time and he said i want h adam to do that thing on saturday and she just said because it was ken washington she just said great wonderful sounds great and they booked me and that was a teaching assistantship um for these like target play dates that the Guthrie used to offer and the teacher I was assisting was Isabel Monk O'Connor who is you know one of the foremost sort of incredible um, African-American actresses in the country actresses in her own right but for me black a black actor you know like and like I assisted her for four hours and they paid me I was so much money when I was a freshman in college I was like oh my goodness and so Ken in many ways saw the teacher in me before I really saw it. Mm. And he said, and put me on that path, and that led to classes at the Guthrie and classes at CTC and, you know, teaching and and, and Summer Institute and Penumbra. It just and, kept going. And it just kept wow. going. And it's something that I love and I believe in, and I don't think that, like, you know, there's no part of me that's like, oh, like... I think the biggest, my biggest challenge to myself is to build a career that allows me to be in a classroom and be on stage. And that is a hard, hard road to travel, except I've been doing it. So I'm very happy. It's coming along. It's coming along. <laughs> so it's coming along, along but you know, but eventually, you know, eventually choices. Well, I will tell you the rules in the system say that eventually choices must be made. Hmm. So what I'm doing is following all the rules until eventually I can finally be in a place where I can change the rules and then I can be on stage, I can be in the classroom and find a, find a new path. That was one of the final conversations I had with Ken was to be willing to forge your own path, hmm. which I always think I am. And th- but then your mentor, like it's always like your mentor, because it's like, you know, I always imagine I used to have a teacher. We had this great sort of mentor when I was like 17. And I remember thinking, I was like, he's incredible. Oh, my goodness. And it's so funny to me because I'm the same age he was at the time that he was my mentor. And I'm like, man. Like, it's interesting. Like, I'm like, oh, he, I can still acknowledge how incredible he was. But then I'm like, he was that incredible and dealing with the world, like, at his age, at this point in time. And I think about, like, how some of the students are like, hey, child. I'm like, yeah, but wait till you this age. And then you'll really understand, like, the sort of, like, the change. craziness of it all. Yeah. We can see, we can see those times uh, a lot clearer. But I also think it's just what I'm, I think I'm doing. I feel very lucky. I said this earlier. I feel very lucky that 
I feel like I'm doing what my spirit wants me to do. Hmm. And that's really great when your spirit's like, yeah, this is what we should be doing. Hmm. I don't feel like I'm like, I gotta figure, I gotta change. I don't feel that. I feel like I'm on the journey that I was supposed to be on. Wow. Oh, man, what a feeling. And to talk about integrity, too, to be true to yourself, that takes a, a lot of integrity. To not succumb to, oh, but there's more money over here, or there's these opportunities over yeah. here, to know what you need to do. And to yeah, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, it's easy, and it also doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. Like, you know, yeah. I certainly have made those mistakes, and so you learn from them, and you... Um, you know, you learn from them and you try to be better. You know, you just try to be better and you try to be... I like... My my father has a robust amount of love for me. And one of the things I always think about is I'm like, man, like... These great quotes been going around. We are the wild... We are the realization of our ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm. And that in itself is powerful enough. Mm. Like, you know, I saw Hidden Figures and I literally just bought the book at Barnes & Noble and I opened it up and oh. saw Dorothy Vaughn's name and like, I got teary-eyed at Barnes & Noble because I was like, man, the, I literally I just opened it up and it was like, Dorothy Vaughn like worked and like she only made $2,000 or something. Um, uh, I don't know if it's a year, that's probably, but the number was so, the number was very clear that it was not a lot. She had these children and I literally just opened up the book and that happened to be the page and I got teary-eyed immediately. I was like, and yet she... You know, she's the coder. She figured out, you know, like I'm like, so, but mainly I think about my father. Like I am literally the wildest dream realization of my father's like wildest dream. Like he's just kind of like, still to this day, he's still like, wow, you know? And so that also pushes me. That also makes me feel accountable. Like I'm accountable to my father, not in a way that's like, I need to do what he wants me to do. But I'm like, I like the fact that my father, a man born in 1946, 1946 to 2017 hmm. that is 1940 I, I just doesn't I'm still and I know there are other people but I'm like my father was born in 1946 you know you know 20 years old in the 60s you know like like coming of age at that time to see a Barack Obama and to live in a world of like Trump it's like it's a it's an incredible thing to be 70 years old and so I just I don't know I think about the integrity of like that man should be proud of me and I should work to exceed any expectation that he thinks he I should work to exceed expectations that he doesn't even know he has because August talks about dreams too August says that you can only imagine or dream you can only imagine what you know to be possible which is this crazy sort of like backwards thing but it's like if you don't know that it's possible then you can't imagine yourself in it you can't put yourself in it like if you don't know that like oh a person can live this life a person can do that like you need to see representation you need to see yourself in places so you can go I want that mm -hmm. and so for me I'm like I'm just I'm trying to imagine things that my father doesn't even know are possible and so keep meeting those things oh my gosh yeah. I got chills uh, that, oh. especially that first quote um about our ancestors wildest dreams right I, I felt that on my skin it's oh a my gosh. sweet honey and rock says sweet honey and rock my other favorite they say that you um you are the result of your grandmother's grandmother's prayers. Hmm. And you're just like, oh, man. You're like, that like, you know, someone, you know, like three, two, three generations ago was like praying. And if you think of prayer, regardless of religious intent, but if you think of prayer as an activation of will and intent, yeah. which I like to think that prayer, meditation, whatever you want to do is like, oh, I'm going to take a moment and be still and put some will, some intent into the universe. And you think about the fact that like two, three generations ago, somebody could have been thinking about you. Like they could have been like, and maybe, and they didn't know it was going to be you, but they're like, I want this for someone. And also think about the fact that some people can be thinking about, like some people thought about you and you're not in there. You're not their progeny. You're not their line. But you know, like I always think about the people who literally like pray for world peace and people, like, oh, whatever. I'm like, but I'm like, there are literally people in the world who wake up and they meditate and they think and they ask for peace and harmony in the world. Mm. We got to do something. We got to make those dreams come oh, to reality, right? Like, yeah. we got so much work yeah. to do, right? I'm like, yeah. I think like, and I like to do like, well, look at the world now. I'm like, I wonder what it would be if people didn't wake up in the morning and like pray and meditate and wish and will world peace and harmony, you know? So you're also, you're, the, you're like, your ancestors are one set of dreams, but like, there's a whole other group of people who I know have prayed, you know? Yeah. And will something great. What do you pray for? Right now, I've spent a lot of time wondering, I spent a lot of time praying for sort of, um, 
uh, that's not the correct phrase, but like sustainable energy of a passion uh, of of sustained energy, something to sustain me and the people who literally, you know, are out on the front lines and that in the times ahead. I think it's a critical point. Like, um, actually, I take that back. I feel like we always are in critical points. I feel like we're always at a critical point. It's like. I think we're at a very interesting time where a lot of people have woken up. I think a lot of people were sleeping. And I think it's really, it's been very empowering to see so many people awake um, and willing to go to war in ways that I feel like, you know, people haven't been before. Hmm. Um, so that's been really empowering. So I just, I pray for sort of uh, energy that sustains. Um, you know, I, I ask that we continue, I like really hope that we continue to put like human compassion and kindness first and hmm. that we um, really try to understand people who don't agree with us, including when their literal disagreement, you know, the the you know, I think is it a is it a Baldwin quote that's been going around right now that like, you know, you have the right to your opinion unless your opinion is set in the like, you know, the unless your opinion is detrimental to my life, you know, you want to take what's for me and I go and for me I'm like, I get that and that is true. Like I completely get it, but like we gotta like we gotta figure out how we're gonna talk. We're mm-hmm. like it's like it's a hard thing, like do you go to war with every do you go to war with citizens in your country? How do we like how do you go to war with the people who call themselves like when you're all in one you're all in one pot? Like it's a difficult thing. I don't think that it's easy. I don't think that it's meant to be easy. I think that it's incredibly hard and you don't want to normalize anything, but like I'm always into people like, well, you can't change people's opinions. But I always tell people in my facilitation, I'm like, it's not about changing their opinion. It's about getting them to understand the cost their opinion has on every single individual inside the group. Hmm. That if you continue down this road, the cost of your opinion is going to have this effect on these people. How do you show that to someone? You show that to them by, one, acknowledging the complexity of their story and the complexity of their life. One of the first rules I always talk about is you've got to acknowledge the complexity of yourself. Very often in circles we discover people immediately, everyone experiences moments of privilege and oppression. And very often we only focus on moments of privilege. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that every single person has moments of privilege and moments of oppression. And I think if you can get people who we ostensibly say have have so much privilege to if we can get them to unpack their moments of oppression I can go okay that moment is very much connected to what these people are talking about over here <laughs> or my experience of walking through this and they go well no 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 just give me a moment like <laughs> you feel this way and I feel this way now these are two different moments but they're the same thing now I want to work to end this moment of oppression for you, and I need you to work to end this moment of oppression for me. I think conversation and the power of story does that, which is why we do theater, which is why we create, you know, like it's literally what we are supposed to do, how Mm -hmm. we are supposed to contribute, um, you know, to the world. So, yeah, I think that that's what I've been praying for and thinking about a lot is that we listen, that we're compassionate, that we are kind. And that it doesn't and that we also stand up, right? Like shut it down. You know, do what you have to do, you know, shut it down. But also everyone's activism is different. One of the beautiful things is that the civil rights movement is always you know, we always hold up the leaders, but the true revolutionaries are the people who said, Oh, we boycotting? Okay. Knowing that they can't afford it. Like knowing that they're gonna have to you know, they have to pay more if they need to take a taxi. Except the taxi drivers are like, you know, the jitney drivers and drivers are like, Hey, guess what? I know that we're doing the boycott and I know that normally I would charge you $2 to get down to this fair because you could take the bus for 15 cents. I'm only going to charge you 15 cents. That right there, that that's some sort of, that's some great America right there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's sort of yeah. like, those are the people whose names are not, they don't, and they don't, and I don't believe that they need to be. Like I don't need to, I, like I don't, but I'm saying that like if we can start to remember that greatness exists outside of institutions, that greatness can be great outside of individual people, that literally we can be great to one another mm. in those very simple ways, that's something that I'm praying for. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, you know, right? Those, li- those little, little moments. Wrapping up here with yep. some rapid fire questions. Given your role in education, uh, and this is, a, this is sort of a two-part question, what would you like to see change in education? And two, advice you see being tossed around to young people that you think is actually unhelpful? Oh, goodness. Um, 
I don't know. Educate. I think that we have a lot of rules in place because um, rules provide stability, and I believe that they're really good. And I just think we need to really look at some of the like how we. Is that what rules? Okay, now my brain's doing a travel. <laughs> teachers. That's what I want to talk about. Teachers. I think teachers. I think that the way we, the way we train teachers, and the way we think about teachers, and the way. I think that that's probably the, a big change that we need to encounter into the world. That the, the same way I told you about teaching theater, that I can't teach theater separate from identity, mm-hmm. I think we, our teachers, need to really start doing work on who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Not just their brilliance, their ability to teach, but who they are as people and who they are teaching, what they are teaching, why they are teaching it, what is the goal, what's the end goal, and who is being allowed in those classrooms. Like I think to me like education is rooted in the teacher like you can learn it from the book you know we know many people who did who went straight to the library to read but right now education is so rooted through a person who is in charge of a room whose job it is is to meet certain you know criteria but like who is that person? How much time are we spending with the teacher? Like in all my work doing sort of conflict resolution with teachers and things, teachers very often will be able to go, well, no, the student did this, they're gonna, they're gonna say that. I'm like, we not respond. We can't control them. The only person we can control is what's happening with you. And that doesn't mean that it's easy. Like, I mean, come on, warriors. I'm, I mean, I work at the art school and I do have to teach that, that Friday morning first period elective. Woo. But like, <laughs> Man, when I find people get up, they be in that they be at that school from seven a.m. to four p.m. It's incredible, you know. But I'm I'm really I think in education we got to focus on the people who are doing the teaching, mm-hmm. and I think we need to offer just other ways to create teachers. We need to offer ways that are not like professional development, but ways of like human development, which I think sounds really. But I'm like, how are we? I don't want professional development days. I'm like, let's do some human development days. Let's do some talk about what's happening in your life. How are you? Because that affects what you teach. Definitely. And, and it affects uh, what you realize you care about, too. I don't remember all of the geography or math facts that I memorized in school necessarily, yeah. but we've got computers for that today. What I do remember is the influence that my teachers had on me mm-hmm. and that then opened me up towards exploring different areas of, of study on my own session with math now yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh no and i think the big thing advice um i don't know i always think i don't know i always feel like i'm a little controversial because i'm like i am not a big fan of like i'm not a big fan of gap years which you know i'm not a big fan of the gap year like i'm not like and that's like i'm like no structure um <laughs> but i also so i feel like some people are like you know just do what you do whatever i'm like no don't do whatever like i'm don't do whatever but Oddly enough, talking with you over the past couple hours, I'm like, but you also have a very clear, you maybe not feel like it, but when you explain to me what you've done and how you've done it and like, and I'm here and I didn't feel like I should go then, I should go later because I want to say, that's a very clear thing. It doesn't, it maybe isn't the clarity of like, I'm off to my freshman year of college, but like, I just, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I just, I'm very much, I'm like, failure is real. Hmm. Failure is real. It is not the end. Mm. But I must, I also feel like sometimes I'm like, oh, well, you know, you just like, you can't fail. You know, like there's no, I'm like, no, you fail. And so one of my favorite things, you know, sometimes whenever there's a theater class, people are like, all right, let's play. Like, we ain't playing, we working. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, because yes, when you play, there's no failure. But I'm like, when you work, I'm like, that was bad. That was really, really bad. Let's make it better. Yeah. But I'm not and like... Learn from it. And learn, and from, learn it. from it. But I just feel like sometimes there's just a lot of energy of like, there's no failure. You know, the, you know, things, everything's going to work out. I'm like, no, that was bad. That was a bad choice that you made. Maybe it was a bad life choice. Maybe it was a bad acting choice, but it was bad. <laughs> now let's fix it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I'm just, I think that's kind of my only thing is I'm like, I'm a big fan of like, doing the whole I'm a big fan of getting it out of the way hmm. and I know I'm talking to Chance here but I'm just Woo-hoo. I'm like this is me talking and like I always feel like I'm on the other side where I'm like no go go get it done right now because I'm also like before you try bucking the system just it's it's it is a hard world hmm. it is a hard world and you need to get everything you can to just survive the world hmm. let alone to go after dreams and so for me I'm like Knock some of this stuff out the way. Just get it done. Awesome. Like, well, I don't want school. I'm like, get, don't, I don't care what you want. <laughs> you know, like, you got it. This is what you have to do in order to get all your other wants. So that's my advice on that. 
most gifted books. What books have you read that you just have to share? I well, I mean, I have been gifted uh, just uh, um, Kafka on the Shore, which has been really incredible. Hmm. It's been a really beautiful book to read. So I think Kafka on the Shore is great. I'm only halfway through it, so I don't know the end. Somebody out there is like, "Oh, wait till he gets to the end." I'm <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, I love um, uh, a collection of short stories by Edwidge Dantica called uh, Crick Crack, and it's a collection of short stories um, set in Haiti. Hmm. And um, and then I'm a big fan fantasy book reader so I love fantasy books I really really you know that's was the main thing I was reading from Miss Ellis I've got my own little big library 300 books but I was like gifted like this incredible sort of fantasy book series that like I just thought was so beautiful and it's called The Thin of Our Tapestry and it's the the summer tree is the first book in it and I remember reading it just being so like oh my god so summer tree crick crack and uh, Kafka on the shore Awesome. Which I haven't finished, yeah. but I'm still. I like literally have book. I've like bookmarked so many. Like I'm like I have to go back to this. Like so, who in the Twin Cities, in a profession other than theater, is doing good work today? Who in Who the are Twin you impressed by? Who am I impressed by? Yeah, in someone outside of your own industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm impressed greatly by um, my heart sister Lena Gardner. Lena is one of the co-founding organizers of Black Lives Matter Minneapolis. Mm. She is um, this incredible, incredible activist and um, scholar, and like she has a master's in uh, social justice and peace. Mm. You know, like that she got from United Theological Seminary. And I'm just incredibly impressed by her artistry and what she's doing and how she takes care of us in ways that we like will never know. I'm impressed with her the way. Her understanding of activism and her understanding of organizing and how, you know, most people will never know the amount of work that Lena has to put in, you know, that when you do your GoFundMes, when they do GoFundMes and you send all that money, that Lena is responsible for that money and putting it in the right place and walking thousands of dollars into jail stations to bail out protesters. They're like People are like, oh, what are they doing? I'm like, I know where it is because Lena's the one who's holding it down. Mm-hmm. So I'm super impressed by her. Yeah, I think that that's... Um, that person rises. Um, my friend Allison with him is an actor, but Allison teaches at South High School, and I got to do a residency there through Penumbra last year. And Allison, man, talk about teachers, right? Like talk about <laughs> teachers who care. Like one, yeah. you know, like I just, I, I'm, I love when teachers go in like that. I really, really do. I really do. I just think it's an incredible, just incredible gift. So those are two people. All right. Yeah. If you could be anywhere doing anything in five years where are you what are you doing what does the world look like you're not trying to break into my plan you're trying to <laughs> break into my plan um, in five years I imagine that um, uh, I'd like to um, really be in a place where I can um, really start to affect change in a community from a position of power as opposed to an invited position, which is what I, I mean, I do believe that I'm able to affect change now, but in five years, I'd love to be in a community being able to affect change from a position of power. Hmm. Because I'm very, I'm very, people always say, you know, change comes from the bottom up. And I just think in all my work, it just has not been true. Hmm. Change is a top, critical change is a top down. You cannot teach, I could not teach my class if Genevieve Bennett was not on board. Hmm. If Brian Gorenson wasn't, if like at the end of the day, like they'd be like, we wouldn't have a theater for social justice, right? Like knowing the things we do and the things we like. So I'm like, so I have to make sure that I create more. I get myself into positions of power so that we can create more spaces where power doesn't matter. Hmm. So that's what I hope to do in five years. Yeah, and there are new, there are just new things that are I'm discovering and learning about the world and myself that I'm hoping make more sense in five years. Make it happen. Yes, that'll be the. That'll be the goal. And uh, before we end, if people want to connect with you Mm -hmm. or learn more about your work, is there any particular place you want to send them? Oh, no. Google's fine. (laughs) I mean, that's the only place. I mean, I don't have a website or anything like that. um, But a lot of stuff always pops up on Google. and That'll do. H, thank you for the time. Thank you, Chad. Amazing to see you in Seattle. (laughs) All right. That's a wrap. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, H. If I were to give you all an assignment going forward, it would be this. Say a prayer. Do it today. Take one minute, close your eyes, create some quiet space within yourself, 
And regardless of religious intent, consider what you want to see in the world and ask that it be brought about. It might be you that contributes. It might be someone years down the road. But you never know what will work until you try. It might just help you out. Speaking of helping out, if you have made use of this podcast, if you've enjoyed it, please like Chance by Chance on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, go to patreon.com forward slash chance by chance to leave a one-time or recurring donation. That money helps me dedicate more time and attention to the scope of this endeavor, and 20% of all proceeds are given to the Iodine Global Network. You can leave a rating or review on iTunes. That's a really big one as it helps more people find the show and benefit from it. And just share this with a friend, with a coworker, a family member. Everyone is building dreams and everyone needs a little help along the way. H was fantastic. And there's way more in store, so stay tuned. Once again, thank you to Josh Johnson for providing the opening track to this podcast, Saxophone Capone on SoundCloud. Until next time, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening.